May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus' closest friends continually asked him, When will it be? When will it happen? What will be the sign that it's about to take place? That is, your judging of the earth. You're coming in the fullness of your kingdom. When will this occur? What will be the signs? How will we know? And these are chronological questions, aren't they? They want to know the timing. When will this take place? Um, They want to know how long they're going to have to wait. Maybe they want to know if they'll be around to see it take place. Tell us when. Tell us when it's almost time, at least. I thought about how humans are such an impatient species, aren't we? I mean, animals, for the most part, I don't think are. My dog, Lucy, being the exception, but she thinks she's a human, so there's that. Um, But most animals are patient. You know, bears, they go into the river and they wait for the salmon to come to them. Birds peck around and hunt for worms, and if there are none there, they just keep doing it until they find them. Beavers build dams and, and dens, and when the elements come along and wash them away, they just go right out and rebuild them. I mean, maybe... If we could speak to the animals, maybe not, you know, the beavers might be a little frustrated. You know, we can't believe I just built that, and here all this rain comes and tears it away. But I think for the most part, it's humans. We have the sense of entitlement. You know, I deserve to know. I deserve to know when. I, how long do I have to wait? Tell us how long. I don't like to wait because I'm entitled. Just like you don't like to wait for the exact same reason. But there are sometimes when we have to, aren't there? You know, you walk into the BMV and there are 40 people in the now. You walk in there today and there are 40 people in there, you would run away for different reasons. But normally you walk in and, and you see all those people and, and you think, ugh. You know what, what I do is I think to myself, I'll go to another location. <laughs> I'll come back tomorrow. It's always what, but you know, sometimes you just have to wait it out. I'd rather wait in the BMV, though, I think, than waiting in the physician's office, in the doctor's office. And it's just for one reason. Predictability. You walk into the doctor's office, at least my doctor's office, my doctor is in a practice with, I think, six other physicians, maybe two other nurse practitioners. There's eight people who are healthcare professionals, plus the whole staff that are there. So when you go in... You don't know. You know, you don't know how many of these people are waiting to see your doctor versus how many are waiting to see another doctor or whatever. How long we have to wait? Could be 10 minutes. Could be an hour. You just have no idea. But when you walk into the BMV, you take a number, don't you? Number 37. And you look up on the wall, now serving number 12. <laughs> I've got 25 people to wait. I at least know. You know, it's out there. I know that I have to wait. And you get a little bit more. There are six tellers. They're taking about four minutes per person. You know, you can do the math. How long do I have to wait? And you get pretty close. Except for me, there's something about, um, I don't know, maybe just um, bad luck. But when I get to number 35, three tellers will go on break. And then one guy with a straw fedora will go up there and have to renew registration for 48 different vehicles. You know, and so all of a sudden, when I'm just about there, it'll wait a little bit longer. 
still there's that, that sense in which, you know, you kind of can anticipate how much longer it'll be. Tell us, Lord, when, at least what will be the signs that these things are about to take place. But Jesus has a completely different agenda. Every time they ask the question, he changes the subject. Every time they ask the question, he diverts the answer. Um, He is not concerned so much about the when as the what. What will he find when he returns on that day of judgment? You see, when the king comes, he'll gather all the peoples of the earth, he says. And it will be a final judgment. There will be no endless appeals. It will be this is the decision. There will be no courts to um, split the decision and and parse out the various um, uh, attributes of, of positive and negatives. It's the king, and he alone will make that decision. It will be final. When the Son of Man comes, Jesus says, in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. All the peoples of the earth will go through a sorting process. It's right or left. Not in the middle. It's just two. It's a binary option. You're either going to be on the right or the left. I'm either going to be on the right or the left. I see those horns. No, you're on the left. You can't hide them. They're on the left. You're a little rugged sheep, but you're a sheep still. Come to the right. Jesus says the whole world will be judged. It will be evaluated, assessed. All the peoples of the earth. Some will be worthy of life eternal, others deserving of death. Just like a shepherd separates sheep from goats, so he says he will judge the world. And you get the point of the simile, don't you? <laughs> you don't want to be a goat. I mean, this is why this is not this is not greatest of all time goat. This is uh, this is a different kind of goat. This is the the not deserving of life metaphor. Again, it's not a consideration of when Jesus is talking about, but of what. What will make someone to be on the right side of eternity, not just on the right side of history? What puts a person on the right side of judgment? The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So there's a sorting process, right? Left, 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 right, 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 left, right, left, right, left, and and so on. Those on the right receive the ultimate prize. Those on the left, the ultimate punishment. And the ultimate prize is better than the HGTV dream home, although I've seen it, and it's pretty nice. It's better than any automobile. It's better than any pile of money. It is eternal life in the, the world prepared by God from the foundation of the world. Hit the parade, hooray, celebration, great time, right? But then there'll be another judgment to those on the left. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Eternal bliss, eternal punishment. These are the binary options. No in-between, no other, no other way to go. What is important? It's not the when, it's the what. 
What is the most important thing here? The king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. For, a little word in Greek, gar. It's a causal conjunction. It's because, for this reason, on account of. Why will they get to enter into um, eternal bliss? For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. How does one get on the right side of judgment? By showing compassion and mercy. This is how one gets on the right side of judgment. Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, welcoming the stranger, caring for the sick, visiting the prisoners. And how does one stand condemned? By not doing those things. By not feeding the hungry, by not giving drink to the thirsty, by not welcoming strangers, by not caring for the sick. And here's the important part. It doesn't just have to be callous cruelty. Indifference does the same thing. It's not just about those who, oh, I'm not going to do that. It's those who were too busy, too indifferent to the needs of others, who saw and did not care, did not think about it. I was thinking about all the things that Jesus said, but I also thought about the things he didn't say. What did he not say? He didn't talk about ethical prohibitions, did he? He didn't talk about asceticism at all. Every religious person on the planet usually has some sort of of ethos that designates them. A lot of times it's dietary, right? Jews and Muslims, no pork. Right? Uh, Mormons, no caffeine. Uh, Hindus, no meat at all. Um, lots of these things. Baptists, no beer. <laughs> all the things that, that you have that, that mark and identify a person. Jesus doesn't talk about those sorts of things. Now, let me just say, I think it's important that we practice self-denial at some level of ascetic discipline. It builds character and strength. But it's not the basis on which people will be judged. Their ascetic practice. He doesn't talk about religious observances. Did you notice that? He didn't talk about going to church. I think weekly worship is critical to one's spiritual well-being. I do. I think that, that worship is to the soul what food is to the body. That if we do not worship, if we do not gather in the church, we will die of starvation spiritually. But Jesus doesn't talk about going to church as a means of judgment. He doesn't talk about people being rewarded because they went or punished because they didn't. Again, super important. The reason our society shows such spiritual um, uh, malnutrition is because of the way that worship has been so disregarded. We have become a secularized society. The whole Western world. And if we think that we can pat ourselves on the back and talk about how many people believe in God, we're wrong. This society might believe in God, but it has not become, it has become a civil religion that lacks an authentic Christian witness. The third thing Jesus doesn't talk about is faith. He doesn't talk about people having faith in God, which I thought was really odd. Because I think faith is crucial. 
um, without belief in God, there would be no belief in judgment. Without belief in God, um, there would be no heaven to gain, no hell to shun. Uh, without faith in God, people would become their own gods, which is indeed what's happened. But Jesus doesn't say people will be rewarded or punished because of their belief or their level of faith. What he does say is that people will be rewarded or punished because of their expressions of compassion and mercy or their lack thereof. This is what he actually does say. People will be judged by what they did about what they saw. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or alone or sick or in prison? When did we see that? A lot of uh, commentators I read through this week um, talk about this contradiction, the seeming contradiction between Matthew's theology and Paul's theology in the New Testament. I mean, you get to St. Paul, what do you get? Um, By grace you are saved through faith, and this not of yourself is a gift of God. Paul quoting Habakkuk, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Yes, absolutely. But I don't see this great chasm between Paul and Matthew, or Paul and Jesus for that matter. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. Yes, we are saved by an act of God. But you show me a person whose life is hidden with Christ in God, and I will show you a person who values compassion and mercy. You show me a person who who believes in God, and I'll show you someone who focuses more on others than his or herself. The disciples never get to hear this, but first they gave up their lives and followed Jesus wherever he went. Paul never writes a single letter, but then he gets knocked off of a horse on his way to Damascus. Mother Teresa never picks up a single sick person lying in the streets in Calcutta, but then she first had a transforming experience with the living God. We need faith. We need a believing community. We need to practice self-denial and self-discipline. But those things help us become more like Christ. Those are the things that feed our souls so that we become the people who do these things, who show compassion and mercy in the world. They help us to become the people who see, that we see the hungry, we see the thirsty, we see the sick and the prisoners. They transform our inner being so that our outer lives reflect the love of God in this world. We don't like to wait. (laughs) The disciples wanted to know, Lord, when? When will you come? (laughs) What will be the sign? How will we know it's almost time? Jesus focused on the what. What sort of life will be worthy of entrance into eternal life? What sort of life will be worthy of God's great reward? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.